Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me, as usual, is TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook. And also with us, Scott Minto. We are here looking at all the Premier League fixtures and the big news from the biggest division in the world. This is what's coming up. Oliver Glasner, the former Frankfurt manager, led them to Europa League glory against Rangers a couple of years ago, is now Steve Parrish's top target. And it's a question of when and not if they part company with Roy Hodgson. But Manchester City are just so good and, and Crookie's right to compare them to the United of the late 90s and early noughties and, and the Liverpool of the late 70s and early 80s. This is arguably, if not the, then one of the best teams we've ever seen in English football. He's learning. He needs to learn quickly. I'm all for philosophy and sticking with a nice uh, style. But if that's losing week in, week out, then, you know, you're not going to be in a job for too long. So I wish him all the best, but Burnley are definitely going down. I was told in the aftermath of that game that David Moyes has never been further away than signing a new contract. I think these next few games are going to be crucial. I think they've got uh, four of the bottom six in their next sort of six or seven fixtures, including this weekend. And I think then David Sullivan will, will make a decision. Morning, Scott. Hello, Alex. Wherever you are in the world, good afternoon, good evening to you. Uh, Scott, um, first of all, I mean, listen, we haven't really got much time today because there's so much to get through. But I had a delightful evening with Scott and his wife on Sunday night. And I can exclusively reveal that as much as we go on about Scott being one of the most gorgeous men in the history of the universe, his wife is a beautiful soul, not only aesthetically, but just a lovely, lovely woman. Uh, and Scott, you're very lucky to, to, to be married to such a, a lady. Um, we had such a lovely time, didn't we? It was all so friendly and we, you know, we got on famously. Do you know what? We got on so well, she said to me, um, can you go home on your own? I'm off with Sam. <laughs> Shush, Mrs. Matterfest. No, uh, can I just say, I know we've got to be quick. It was a lovely conversation we had. And thank you very much. Um, I hadn't actually watched Dancing on Ice before, but it was very um, entertaining and not always in a good way, was it? <laughs> yeah, it was a carnage show that you came to. Uh, talking of yeah. carnage shows, uh, Roy Hodgson is set to be sacked as the manager of Crystal Palace. That seems to be the pervading narrative. However, as far as my schedule tells me, he is due to give a press conference in the next couple of hours. Um, is he going to be still in situ, awaiting Le Guillotine uh, for Monday night's game against Everton? I suppose that's the big question, uh, Crookie? I think that depends on how quickly they can get a new manager in situ. It's the worst kept secret in football that Oliver Glasner, the former Frankfurt manager, led them to Europa League glory against Rangers a couple of years ago, is now Steve Parrish's top target. And it's a question of when and not if they part company with Roy Hodgson. I think it's a very similar situation to what happened with Patrick Vieira. They're going to make a managerial change before a run of games where they're playing a lot of the teams in and around them. And obviously last season it worked because Hodgson was able to pilot Palace away from relegation danger. But I do feel sorry for Roy Hodgson. I think it's a ridiculous situation if he is asked to front up to the media ahead of a game that he probably won't be in charge for when everybody in the room, he included, knows that he's heading for the sack. I think that's very unpalatable. I think it's a disgrace on behalf of Crystal Palace, to be honest. I think it goes right back to the summer when Steve Parrish made a very weak decision in the first instance to carry on with Hodgson for another year. It meant that he didn't spend significant money in the transfer market because he knew there'd be a, a managerial change at the end of the season. And I think really Palace have been in a bit of a state of flux ever since then. Questions need to be asked here, Scott, don't they? And I know that the supporters of Crystal Palace have certainly been doing that over the course of 
the season, especially in recent weeks, the protests have ramped up. You and I were at the Arsenal game where uh, they were quite vociferous in their um, opposition to the way that the club is being run. I was at the game on Monday night where, again, banners were unfurled. Talking about a weak board and the idea that uh, Crystal Palace are going to sack Roy Hodgson and he's going to have to front up beforehand knowing that that is going to be the case is a little bit sort of disrespectful really to a manager who, and I've had my tense exchanges with um, Roy over the course of the last few weeks, but the truth is, is that he has got a long and storied career and he probably deserved a better send off than the one that he is going to eventually get. No, absolutely. I think the word disrespectful is pretty much spot on. Um, look, whether you're in his camp or whether you're not, the, the job he's done for Crystal Palace, I think, has been an excellent one. I think at the start of the season to wheel him out and clearly want him to say Palace top 10, you know, then I was, I was thinking, well, hold on a second. You're, you're at best standing still. But look, whoever takes over, and it looks, looks like we know who it will be, it's not going to be easy. I'm telling you, Palace are a little bit in free fall. Uh, they've got their best players out injured. They've got no real creativity there. And for a new manager to come in and suddenly say, right, I know what I'm going to do and implement a different style, which is what it will be. You know, Palace fans are better hope that Everton get done again and, and Forest do as well, because they are, if not right in a relegation scrap at the moment, teetering on it. But I do think absolutely to treat Roy like that. And, and at this particular moment, I think he's bang out of order. Lots of questions will be asked as to why they didn't appoint a better candidate in the summer, a more forward-thinking candidate. And that's not a better candidate. It's probably the wrong word because what I mean by that is someone who's going to be around for a little bit longer, someone who's going to change the philosophy of the football club, someone who could buy into a new way of of Crystal Palace building for the future with a little bit more ambition. And and the idea, I was thinking about this last night when I was trying to go to sleep. Why why would you not go for somebody else? What, What would make you hire Roy Hodgson? And the answer is, I don't really know, because it's not as if there was a lack of people that were available. Gary O'Neill was available, for example, in the summer. He'd been sacked by Bournemouth, and you know, they, they could have acquired him. That's just one example off the top of my head. I mean, it does show a lack of forethought, planning, and ambition by the owners. And I include John Texter in this, as well as Steve Parrish. He's not the exclusive voice in the boardroom, uh, Steve Parrish. So, really and truly... There probably needs to be a sort of, I don't know, not internal investigation, but a sort of ex- explanation from those people as to why they decided to go down this route. Is there something deeper going on here that we don't know? Are they trying to sell the club or are they trying to reposition the club for something else? Are, are they after a particular candidate at the end of this season that they're trying to snaffle in the door before anybody else realises? What what is there financial fair play issues at, uh, at heart here that we don't know anything about? There is, there must be something well, more to this than just incompetence, Crook. Well, I think first and foremost, there's a power struggle um, going on between Steve Parrish and, and John Texter. That's been happening for a while. But I also think there was a bit of arrogance attached to the decision. They looked at the three teams who've come up from the championship and thought, well, they're going to go straight back down. Therefore, we can afford to tread water for a year and, and maybe wait for a, a Steve Cooper, who knows, maybe even a Gareth Southgate to become available at the end of the season. But I think Luton and the form that they've managed to find have spooked Parish enough to think, actually, if I don't make a change, we've won three and 19. The fans have turned against me. They've turned against the manager. The players look completely devoid of confidence. If we don't try and bring in someone and get that new manager bounce, we could well find ourselves in a, in a very perilous situation. But I don't think it's just this season they've shown a lack of ambition. You, you look at Palace's recent history, they've basically relied on Wilf Zaha to be the one flair player, the, the one goal scorer to keep them away from relegation danger. And now they're relying on Ezer and Elise. And unfortunately for both of those players, they have a struggle to stay fit. The squad isn't good enough. The fact that Joel Ward, bless him, is still being rolled out more often than not. The fact that Nathaniel Klein is still there playing games in the Premier League. Would those two get a game at any other Premier League club? I would suggest not. So I think Steve Parrish has got to look back at his whole body of work as Crystal Palace owner and realise that he's let the fans down. Why Why haven't they been able to kick on in the way that Brighton have, for example? There are rivals. Tough. That seems a little bit tough. He's kept Crystal Palace in the, uh, in, in the Premier League for 11 years, and Simon Jordan will tell you uh, over and over again, he never managed to even get them up. So the, the, the fact they've had the longest spell in the top flight wouldn't be... I wouldn't accuse him of letting the fans down. 
what I would say is, is, is they've lacked ambition in the last couple of years once they've stabilised themselves as a Premier League club to think about what is next. Talking of a, a team that's certainly not lacking ambition, uh, Manchester United squad by the end of last season was football's most expensive ever, according to new data uh, from UEFA. UEFA records show $1.21 billion was spent on transfer fees for players still at Old Trafford in May, eclipsing the $1.14 billion recording in 2020 for Real Madrid. Uh, Mount Hoyland and Anana not even included in those figures. Um, is this why their first uh, appointment appears to be a sporting director, uh, Scott? Because they need to organise how they recruit players. Yeah, and look, you know, I don't think anyone, even from the out, if you're not a Manchester United fan, can say that, you know, there's been any positivity around the Glazers, but money has been spent in their watch Badly. and money has been wasted and a culture has been allowed. And you can certainly say that, that well, that's become from the Glazers because they, they haven't really got involved. They just say, OK, the money, the club generates this amount of money. Let's let's put this money back in. But that's that's a heck of a lot of money, isn't it? Cool. And yeah. to think that that's been mismanaged and misspent so much. And, and look, you know, OK, he may only have a 25% stake in the club, but I do think he's a change for good for, for Manchester United, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, because he's now bringing in people. The Glazers don't want to know about the day-to-day of it. They just want to see the buck at the end of the day. And Manchester United will always produce that wherever they are in the league. But for the Manchester United fans, it's about changing the culture. I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe coming in, you know, bringing in Dave Brailsford, if he does bring in Dan Ashworth. And we'll see what happens in the summer, of course, what happens with the managerial situation. But I do think in the medium to long term, it's a very positive step forward for United fans. Saw a brilliant graphic yesterday, actually, uh, which illustrated that Brentford, with their, I think, three seasons in the Premier League now, uh, have made more of a profit from their time in the Premier League than Manchester United have in the 30 years that they've been in the Premier League, which is quite astounding, really. Um, Dan Ashworth is the subject of a bid from Manchester United. He's told Newcastle about it. He's got a long gardening uh, leave period. They may have to stump up quite a bit of cash to get him out of there, if indeed they are going to allow him to leave. Strengthening a rival, probably not something the Saudis want to do, but if he wants to leave, then they may well find a negotiated settlement, bearing in mind they need some money to to offset against their own FFP troubles. Uh, Spurs take on Wolves on Monday, uh, on Saturday on TalkSport 2. Spurs take on Wolves on Saturday on TalkSport 2. Uh, is Son Hyung Min going to make it, even though he has dislocated his finger after falling out with younger members of the South Korea squad over how quickly they wanted to eat their dinner so they could play in a ping pong tournament on the eve of their semi-final with Jordan? Um, now, Crook, we know how an innocu- innocuous injury can affect your work. Um, you have been struggling all week after uh, injuring yourself in balloon football. Um, so is Song going to make it with his dodgy finger? <laughs> I'm still struggling now, by the way, with those ribs. Um, well, it, well, he came on, didn't he, at the weekend? Um, so I, I think he'll be fine. But it is, um, it is one of the more uh, amusing injury tales. Uh, I guess it, it, it tells you about his professionalism and what high standards he has. But yeah, I think he'll play uh, at the weekend. And I'm really looking forward to this game, actually. Um, I've got to say, I've been to... Tottenham Hotspur Stadium quite a bit this season and you never see a dull game. Scott and I have been there together as well. Tottenham with a front foot football they play, they give the opposition a chance. I think Wolves with Neto in particular have got weapons that can exploit that. So again, I'm expecting a bit of a goal fest and maybe another dramatic conclusion because they do have a habit of winning games late on at home. Hold on a sec, Sam. Sorry, I I need to know more about this balloon football. What the heck happened here, Cricky? Oh, come on. You've got to listen to the podcast from uh, Sunday night to get the right. full story of it. It's, the whole glory details are, uh, are are on the podcast from Sunday night. So go back, watch it on YouTube. Uh, in fact, we almost got him to reenact it because biomechanically we couldn't understand how he'd injured his rib. <laughs> Out of order for the person on Twitter to say that's the first time that Crookie has struggled so long with a rib. Usually polishes them off very quickly. Uh, right, let's kick things off by starting with a weekend full of great football at Stunning at the Etihad. Well, listen, you can never call anything in the Premier League at the moment. Tony! It had to be! 
Ivan Tony scores! Nunez into Salah, it's into the back of the net, a tap in, in front of the Anfield road end. Johnson! Spurs win it! Brennan Johnson! Delirium! At the top of Hotspur Stadium! Up towards the edge of the penalty area, rides one challenge, fires in the shot, and Neto scores! A classic breakaway goal! Liverpool shoot from distance! towards the far post, it's flicked on, it helps it, it's an own goal by Romero, smuggled in, Brantwaite went in there, Everton celebrate, they're back on the scoreboard, and they've nicked a point in stoppage time. It's the Premier League, and nothing is over until it's over. Manchester City against Chelsea. Um, reverse fixture by far and away one of the games of the season. 4-4 draw. Are we expecting anything similar this weekend, Scott? Well, I can see City scoring four. I, I don't know if Chelsea are going to score four. Um, look, you know, it's been a much more positive this month, you have to say, with some very good results, um, some good performances, one of them at Villa Park. But I, I still think Chelsea are a million miles off from where you want them to be. And look, I've defended Pochettino. I, I do think that there comes a point where in February where we need to see a more cohesive um, outfit and, and more patterns of play and understanding that first half. My goodness me, you at the game, weren't you, Sam? And I mean, I, I think we could have played in that. It was almost walking football. Mm. It just, I, I, I still don't know quite what's happening. And I'm, I'm on the front foot, despite them getting a couple of good results, because we should be seeing more now. Um, and it's, it's disappointing in that sense. And I just think City is so good at the moment. Look, I, I worried for Chelsea going into the, the, the Villa Park game at, in the FA Cup, and that was a brilliant performance. They're going to need to produce something even better to even get a point out of this match because City are in great form. I uh, spoke to Pochettino after the game on uh, Monday night, and he was furious, absolutely furious. Delighted with the win, delighted that Gallagher uh, had come up with two goals, and he was terrific, especially towards the end, driving force. Cole Palmer, uh, also a driving force uh, in that latter stage of the game when he was moved out to the right rather than playing centrally. But in the first half, they were atrocious. And they were basically the same 11 players, Thiago Silva for Badia Shield, the only change, that went to Aston Villa and absolutely bossed it. I mean, it wasn't even as if Crystal Palace was sort of like, you know, especially in the first 15, 20 minutes, really on top of them. It was it was quite a uh, it was quite a passive performance by Palace. Palace you know, had 20% of the ball. Yet Chelsea did very, very little with it. And he was he was he was upset. But they scored at a minute and 30 seconds into the second half and the game changed from then. And uh, they were a little bit better. But that's the inconsistency that you get with such a young group, the average age of 22. It takes Thiago Silva out of it. I mean, you've got a, a group which is basically under 23s. It really is. Um, Manchester City have, have started doing what everyone predicted they would do, which is churn out win after win after win. I did their game on uh, Tuesday night, which was against Copenhagen in the Champions League, and they, again, completely bossed it. Um, the problem with them is, is it's all a little bit predictable, isn't it? You know, Manchester City turn up, Manchester City win, everybody goes home going, there, same old story. Um, does that get a little bit uh, troubling? Listen, it's hard for me to say yes to that because obviously my team dominated English football for a long time. Liverpool in the 80s dominated in the way that Manchester City are. So I think it's always been that way. There's always been one standout team. Obviously, non-Man City fans will point to the FFP charges that still hang over their heads as a stick to beat them with. But I do think you have to admire the squad that Pep Guardiola has put together, the football they play. Is it is it boring for fans of rival teams? Probably, but you won't catch a Man City fan complaining about that. And you have to say that they're great to watch. They are, and uh, they were brilliant to to watch on Tuesday night. My worry is not necessarily that they have done so well. It's more that no one has properly come out and been able to topple them. Liverpool have got the closest over the course of the last two, three, four years, but. Are there enough teams showing enough ambition to be able to take this Manchester City team to task, Scott? Well, look, they're, they're, they're trying, uh, but Manchester City are just so good. And, and Crookie's right to compare them to the United of the late 90s and early noughties and, and the Liverpool of the late 70s and early 80s. 
this is arguably, if not the, then one of the best teams we've ever seen in English football. And you know what I think about Pep Guardiola as well? You know, quite simply, I think he's created Barcelona without Lionel Messi in Manchester, Manchester City. So he, he's a genius. Liverpool are trying to rebuild. It's going to be difficult, obviously, with Klopp's now saying he's going to go. But after two seasons ago, coming close to the quadruple last season, they were poor. Midfield gutted out. Arsenal are trying to get up there as well. Chelsea are a shambles. United are a shambles. It, it, it's, it's a great time for City fans in terms of the rivals aren't good enough. But even if they were, I still feel City would be that good. They'd be, they'd be exactly where they are right now. Uh, my favourite uh, moment of the week was seeing my Liverpool supporting friend receive a Valentine's card from his wife, uh, which uh, had the uh, sort of caption on the front, I won't leave you like Jürgen has. <laughs> um, Jack Grealish can't catch a break, can he? The first start in ages. He only played 100 minutes of football over the course of uh, 2024 so far, and he, he's hurt himself in that Champions League game in midweek. That's damaging not only for him, but for, for, for England as well, isn't it, Crook? Yeah, absolutely. And it's been uh, yeah, it's been a difficult season for Jack Grealish, especially when you look at how the last one ended. You know, he was front and centre of their treble and obviously the celebrations that followed it. But yeah, terrible timing for him, just when he looked like he might be able to hold down a place in the team. And it, it gives Gareth Southgate a problem, as you say, going to the summer. Let's hope from an England perspective that he's able to get back sooner rather than later and get some minutes under his belt probably been usurped on that left-hand side if the European Championship team was picked right now by his uh, teammate Phil Foden who scored another terrific goal in the game against Copenhagen and is just in absolutely supreme form at this moment in time. Um, he, he, he's, he's thriving wherever he plays under Pep Guardiola. They scored some terrific goals in that match against uh, Copenhagen and the movement off the ball, the, the timing of the passing and the runs was just superb. They, they, they were a, a supreme team in that game, especially bearing in mind they did suffer a setback in it. Um, I wonder whether or not it would be helpful uh, for Liverpool to go first this week, Scott, because they play Brentford at 12.30 live on TalkSport. And I wonder, I mean, Paul Merson sort of suggested this, going first, even though Pep Guardiola, um, Jurgen Klopp doesn't like the 12.30, um, sometimes can sort of put a bit of pressure on those around you. I mean, it might put pressure on Arsenal and, and Manchester City if they can put three points on the board. But a game against Brentford is not going to be easy, as Manchester City have already found out. Yeah. No, look, I, I agree with Merce, and, and he's been there, seen it, done it, in terms of winning titles and whether you play first and the psychology of it. So... I'd be absolutely with him. And look, Jurgen Klopp doesn't like the 12.30 kickoff, but I think that's off the back of a European game, which he hasn't got here. He's not in the Europa League. So um, not at this stage. So I think it's perfect. I really do. And, and, and of course, Brentford won't be easy and they're getting the players back. And Ivan Tony is, is, has come back and he's scoring. And I think he's getting fitter and fitter with each match. And Crookie and I saw him at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And, you know, he's a handful. He's absolutely a handful. And he's only going to get better. But this is psychologically, I think it's absolutely crucial to try and put pressure on the others. Because, look, we, we talked about we expect a City win against Chelsea, and we do. But if Liverpool beat Brentford by two or three, then that really does put pressure on, on the other two as well. So I totally go with him on that. But it's going to be a fascinating game because Brentford at home, they haven't been great this season. They're still trying to get away completely from the relegation zone. But they're getting their players back. And we know that when they've got a, a full first eleven especially at home, the way they play, that's not going to be easy. One defeat in 13 for Liverpool. Lots of wins in that period. Three wins in the last four. But of course, they lost their, their last away game, which was against Arsenal. And their previous away game to that was a 1-1 draw down at Fulham in the semi-finals of the uh, League Cup. Although that had uh, sort of mitigating circumstances because they already had a lead from the first leg. Their away form, if anything, has been questioned this season. It certainly was last season, Crook. Um, do you think that they can go to, to Brentford and, and make a make a statement early in the weekend? Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because we, we didn't dwell on it too much, but they weren't great against Burnley last weekend. And uh, Burnley actually had a couple of really good chances to get something out of that game. So defensively, I still worry for Liverpool. Well, I don't worry for Liverpool because I don't want them to win the league. And I don't think they will. Um, but Trent Alexander-Arnold obviously is out now. He's going to miss the, the League mm. Cup final. That's a blow uh, for Liverpool and for him on a personal level. Uh, we don't know if, if young Connor Bradley, his replacement, is going to be fit either. So there is a, a potential issue there 
for Jurgen Klopp. And I think what we know about Brentford, particularly with Tony back in the team, they have got weapons now uh, that can hurt teams. Johan Visser is going to come back, having had a decent tournament at the AFCON. So I don't think this is going to be straightforward for Liverpool. Uh, and they've been playing OK, haven't they, Brentford, despite the fact they haven't been putting uh, results on the board. And Visser, in the team of the tournament at the AFCON, he was so good. Um, you mentioned Ivan Tony there, and it does look as if they've sort of signed their replacement for Ivan Tony in the summer. So it looks like they've already sort of put plans in place to move him on. Thomas Frank has talked openly about the fact that he's going to leave in the summer. He's going to go to a big club. He's stated that is his ambition, he said. So, you know, we will allow that to happen if we get the right price. And they've already signed his uh, his substitute, which is Tiago, uh, Igor Tiago, who they've agreed to sign from Club Brugge. Um, 22 years of age. He's been in excellent form this season for Club Brugge. 16 goals already. Last year, he got 20 goals in all competitions for Bulgarian side Ludogrets Razgrad. Um, how, how advanced is this, Crook? Do we know anything about it? I think it's, it's very advanced and I think it will happen. However, it's asking an awful lot, isn't it? Yes, he's got a great goal-scoring record, as you say, in Belgium. But to come come into the Premier League, hit the ground running and be expected to replace somebody like Ivan Tony is is a huge ask for, for a 22-year-old who's, who's never done it in an elite European league. But it's interesting the way that Thomas Frank has been talking because a, a few months ago, I think Brentford were hoping that they could persuade Ivan Tony to sign a new contract and maybe prolong his stay or maybe at least have a release clause in there doesn't look like that's going to be the case now from what I'm told. Tony, not in any hurry at all to sign a new contract and why should he be? And I think the expectation on all sides now is that he leaves in the summer. I'm still intrigued to see where he goes because I still think the fact he's the wrong side of 25 is prohibitive for a lot of clubs now with the, with the profit and sustainability rules. You're laughing, but I don't think he goes to Chelsea for that reason. Unless they change their model, I just don't see that happening. I'm laughing because uh, the idea of being over the hill at 25 uh, concerns me greatly. Um, I'm the wrong side of 25, 35 and 45, (laughs) which is a real problem. Scott's the wrong side of 55. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, let's move on to Burnley against Arsenal. Um, Arsenal, who could be one of Tony's destinations, have a 100% win record this year, 2024. Winter break seems to have sorted them right out. The only issue we've sort of been talking about this quite a while now is about the forward position. Maybe Leandro Trossard, Scott, has sort of passed his audition in that role. Yeah, look, there's a lot of attacking talent. I think it's not necessarily because it's he's not an out-and-out number nine. Clearly, um, Martinelli can can go into that. It could just be a very fluid front three. Maybe Saka stays more so on the right. But I think between Martinelli and Trossard, they can switch every now and again. And, um, and it's working, isn't it? You know, the, the last couple of results, I mean, that, that one against Liverpool where we were there at the Emirates, Sam, that was a wonderful performance against the Liverpool mm. side who had just destroyed Chelsea at, at Anfield. And then to go and destroy West Ham in the way they did as well. I mean, I, I, I wasn't able, because I was with you and dancing on ice, I didn't watch the West Ham Arsenal game until Tuesday. And I thought, OK, I'm interested to see how the first half an hour goes because there, there wasn't that first goal until after half an hour. You know, that could have been a 3 nil half hour anyway. Yeah. You know, Arsenal were so on top. It was unbelievable. <clears throat> so... For them to be that good, 6-0 didn't flatter them. I, I think absolutely Arsenal are back in the game and they need to keep on believing and need to keep on you know, coming up uh, and, and get a good win against the Burnley side. As Crookie said, produced a lot of chances at Anfield last week. So there's positive to take for them. But this is an Arsenal side at the moment, along with City. I think that you, no team wants to play them in the Premier League. Interestingly, I mean, we sort of mentioned that uh, Liverpool had been the team that pushed Manchester City the most over the course of the last few years. Obviously, Arsenal had their their run last year, but then when it came to the head-to-heads between the two, struggled a little bit. Um, I think the mentality of Arsenal has been pretty impressive over the last month, bearing in mind they lost those back-to-back games just um, before Christmas. But the way they've bounced back from that has been, I think, quite impressive. And there's a little bit of, I don't know, there's a little bit of belligerence about them, which I, I haven't seen from Arsenal for a long while, Crook. I mean, obviously, what they have to do now is go to Burnley and offer a show of strength because if they were to drop points away at the bottom team or one of the bottom teams, then they would that would be 
incredibly damaging for their, their prospects of trying to get um, sort of all the way and, and push City again. Yeah, but I think you're right about that mentality shift. And um, I think they've learned lessons from what happened at the end of last season. I wouldn't go as far as to say they bottled the title, but I don't think it was just a case that Manchester City ground them down. I think if you look at some of the points they dropped, 2-0 up away at West Ham, the Southampton game as well. The Southampton game was almost inexcusable when you look how poor Southampton were last season. To draw 3-3 at home to them, you don't deserve to win the title. But I think the biggest mark of respect you can pay Arsenal is that you don't go into games like Burnley away thinking, well, this could be a banana skin. I think they'll win, and I think they'll win it pretty comprehensively. I think Declan Rice has played a big part in that as well. He's not the captain. Martin Erdegaard is the captain, but he's a real leader, Declan Rice. And the way that he stood up to the jeers of the West Ham fans, which I still think were ridiculous last weekend. He, he comes up with two assists and a goal. He's added different dimensions to his game. I think Saka, in his own way, is, is, is a leader uh, as well, obviously in a, a much quieter way, actually, than someone like Erdegaard. I love the two central defenders, uh, Gabriel and Saliba. So I think they're in, in good shape. And you're right, the way they've bounced back, the two points off the top, I think when they had that wobble before and after Christmas, I'm not sure any of us would have predicted they would come back quite so strong. Well, I think the, the key thing, and I mentioned it to you earlier in the season, that defence is so very, very important, um, not conceding too many goals. And actually, when you look out, they have the best away defence in the Premier League, uh, Arsenal, and they are one goal off having the best home defence in the Premier League. And if uh, defences do win titles, then Saliba and his mate Gabriel probably deserve a lot of credit. And one of the reasons why they collapsed towards the end of last campaign was because that partnership was broken up. And I think that Mikel Arteta will be absolutely delighted if they can keep those two together over the course of the next few months. Um, Vincent Company, um, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast and the fact that uh, well, Crook in, in particular thinks that he's got away uh, with murder. Um, Spurs and Chelsea were linked with him during the summer. I mean, what is the philosophy here, Scott? Because they have offered very little in terms of ambition to stay in the Premier League. Maybe behind the scenes they've got a long plan, but they've been very naive all season. And we're into February now. This team are going to get relegated. There's not much doubt about that. The only saving grace could be that Everton get another 15-point deduction and Nottingham Forest get a 12-point deduction. And therefore, it's those two that disappear alongside Sheffield United. But I mean, if you're relying on that, that's almost about as uh, likely as relying on Vincent Company's team to play their way out of trouble, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And Crookie leaving a cupcake on the table and, and, and leaving it there. Or a spare um, rib. <laughs> I don't have a sweet tooth, Scott, to be fair. So I can okay, easily walk away enough. from a cake. Fair enough. Don't have any ribs um, either now. <laughs> <laughs> I need a spare one, that's for sure. Now, you, you know, you remember at the start of the season, the owner was sort of saying, you know, it's like having this supermodel girlfriend that you know is going to leave you at some point. So just enjoy the ride while while she's with you. Well, you know, that supermodel's not looking so hot at the moment. But I think Vincent Company, I'd admire him for staying if he was offered any of the, the gigs in, in the higher echelons of the Premier League. He wasn't. Well, OK, well, maybe he wasn't, but he's still learning. My point is, you know, there's too many. And I understand why, because, you know, the, 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 the ability to, to manage a top club, even one that you've played for, is sometimes too much to turn down. But you need a body of work before you get into the top end of the Premier League. And he's still learning in terms of that. And look, I, I admire the hierarchy because I think if it had been anyone else, then he probably would have been sacked. We've seen Paul Heggenbottom sacked. Um, and they're on the same amount of points right now. So absolutely, you're relying on two teams to get a points deduction. They spent far too much money on too many players. It was uh, too big a change and to step up to the Premier League and do something that he was wanting to do, he should have seen it earlier. He's learning. He needs to learn quickly. I'm all for philosophy and sticking with a nice uh, style. But if that's losing week in, week out, then, you know, you're not going to be in a job for too long. So I wish him all the best, but Burnley are definitely going down. Um, he didn't really say that about the supermodel girlfriend, did he? I mean, it's, it's 2024 or 2023 when he said that. I mean, it's just... <laughs> It's a little bit inappropriate, isn't it? Was it Alan Pace who said that, or was it one of the others? It was some. It was something like that. Paraphrasing, yeah. I've just tried to Google it, but um, obviously I did that on incognito mode. 
they're putting the words company, supermodel, and girlfriend. Uh, but uh, didn't get any quotes back. Right. Let's move on from Burnley against uh, Arsenal and get on to uh, some of the other big issues in and around the Premier League, starting with David Moyes, because the pressure is being piled on. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Nottingham Forest take on uh, West Ham United this weekend. And Crooker, you told us midweek that the position from the West Ham board on David Moyes' future may have altered following the 6 0 defeat to Arsenal. Nothing like a little bit of reactionary management. Um, what do you know? Well, it's, it's funny because we had a conversation, I think, even before that game, and you were suggesting that maybe the noises coming out in December about Moyes being close to signing a two-and-a-half-year contract were a little bit of a, a smokescreen. Obviously, mm. nothing has kicked on since then. I think that was in the immediate afterglow of their victory against Arsenal. Obviously, Arsenal served out their revenge in quite emphatic nature on uh, Sunday afternoon. And I was told in the aftermath of that game, that David Moyes has never been further away than signing a new contract. I think these next few games are going to be crucial. I think they've got uh, four of the bottom six in their next sort of six or seven fixtures, including this weekend. And I think then David Sullivan will, will make a decision. But again, it's a little bit like the Roy Hodgson scenario. If they weren't going to give him a new contract after he won a European trophy last season, then maybe they should have just decided then uh, to part ways. There's issues behind the scenes with him and the sporting director, Tim Stideton. They regularly butt heads. And as we mentioned on the weekend podcast, I think David Sullivan regularly is having to play a sort of peacemaker role in that relationship. We know that West Ham are actively scouring the market to see what potential replacements are out there. And I think if this comes down to a power battle between David Moyes and Stideton, I think the sporting director probably wins it. Well, listening to the West Ham fans, um, the West Ham fans that ring TalkSport and did ring TalkSport in the aftermath of Sunday's game are just not interested in keeping David Moyes. They 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 think that uh, all the good work that has been done over the course of the last few years has been done by other people. Uh, Tim Stighton is getting a lot of credit uh, for the acquisitions in the summer, even though I think we're aware that at least one of them Edson Alvarez was not bought by him. It was bought by Mark Noble. Um, but um, it's a strange situation at West Ham, I think, because they're eighth in the league. They're still in Europe. And I know that the fans want a better style of football. But I think what they'll also want, Scott, is some sort of level of stability in the Premier League. And if if they start playing great football and then all of a sudden they're flirting with relegation, they'll soon turn against the board, won't they? I mean, you know, sometimes you have to be a little bit strong as a football club and have a determination to, to follow your own path rather than react to noises coming off stage. Look, it, it, it is a strange situation at West Ham and, and I've played there and I know what the fans kind of want. And 
you know, again, we talk about the body of work and it's a golden period really for West Ham with finishing sixth and seventh and the Europa League semi-final and then the Europa Conference first major trophy for for over 40 years. But I also know the West Ham fans would be quite happy with 12th, but a really exciting brand of football. I mean, it doesn't have to be really pragmatic. Look, they're not going to get into the top four. So fans are thinking that we want really good football and we want a higher position. Well, that's been unrealistic. But I, I think of the majority of the fans are saying, Do you know what, we're West Ham. Go for the Cups, play really good football. If we finish mid-table, so be it. But if we win 4-3 and lose 3-2, then we'll take that. I mean, again, I watched that game and I, I do want to say I'm a Moyes in. I respect what he's, what he's doing and what he's done. But I watched that game in the first 30 minutes, even up until the first goal. West Ham were sitting back. The fans just want to see their players going for it in the first 10, 15 minutes, whoever they play. And if they're cut apart, then so be it. You you go to plan B. From the very first minute they sat back, I do get where the West Ham fans are coming from. And it doesn't have to be, well, if it's exciting football, you're flirting relegation. But I, I think there has to be a happy medium. You have to know your audience. You have to know your fans. And I just think David Moyes and West Ham despite what he's done. And again, I repeat, it's a golden era for West Ham in terms of where they finished and what they've won. But I just don't think it's a very good fit. And I would be surprised if he's managing next season. Yeah, I think he, I mean, I mentioned this uh, before and I've said this to, to Crookie privately. I think if he were, if he's sensible now, he just walks away. He just, I, I actually think he probably should just come out and say, do you know what? You don't want me. That's fine. I will leave at the end of the season and then you can put other plans in place and I'll go off and I'll do something else. I think he'd get a lot more respect actually of the West Ham fans between now and the end of the season, if that was uh, the case. But for him... I think it's better that he moves on anyway because he will be appreciated somewhere. Listen, it might just be that it doesn't fit. It might just be that actually after the amount of time that he's spent there that they're sort of fed up with it and they want something a little bit different. And that's fair enough. And that's down to the West Ham fans and they can have what they want because they pay their money and they take their chances and they don't have to sit there and watch drudge football if they if they don't want to because they pay their their season ticket prices and it's up to them and they've you know but the club have got to have a plan going forward and if they haven't got a plan going forward which many of these clubs don't appear to then that is a problem one of the big issues here and the sort of I don't know the spectre looming over everybody in the bottom half of the table is Brighton Brighton are a pain in the backside aren't they they have (laughs) they have ruined life for absolutely everyone because they have proved that there is a possibility to go out and find gems at a reasonable price and sell them on for inflated prices. That will never happen again, by the way. They're never going to sign. Brighton are never going to sign a player for £4 million and sell them for £100 million. That's never going to happen again. That's a one-off. They've, you know, they, they've, they've, they've spiked the market once. That isn't going to happen again. But they do play good football. They do acquire good coaches. They do make sure that they consult all the data and build for a, a better future. And because they have done it, everyone else is looking at them and going, uh, excuse me, is there any chance that we could do that as well? They're disruptors in the market. Yeah, and it goes back to the point I made earlier. Uh, Crystal Palace in particular will be feeling that because... They're bitter rivals and probably historically, certainly in the last 30 years, Palace are used to looking down on Brighton, but there aren't too many of those sort of mid-road clubs who can look down on Brighton now. So I think you're absolutely spot on that they're causing a problem for everybody um, with the success that they're enjoying. And I, th- I think now more than ever, and Jose Mourinho has been a, a victim of this as well to a certain extent, fans don't just want to win football matches because of the price of tickets. Fans want to be entertained. and. West Ham supporters, almost to a man and woman now, will tell you they're not entertained by David Moyes. This is not a minority of West Ham fans who want the change of manager. This is the majority, and that's a big problem for David Moyes. Uh, Forest needs to take advantage, don't they? Done uh, a big favour by Sheffield United's win over Luton last week. And Nuno Espirito Santo, who uh, has seen his team competing games but lose some of them, um, needs to put another victory on the board. Scott? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again... You don't know what's going to happen with a, a possible points deduction, but they need to use that as fuel and say, well, look, this could happen, so we've got to got to crack on. And look, they have got good players when they're fit. They've got a good attacking players when everybody's fit. And I think Taya Wanyi coming back, I think he's an absolute handful and he could be the difference between keeping Nottingham Forest up or not because he, he can do absolutely everything. Maybe he's not your, your, your most clinical finisher, but he can score goals and he can ruffle up defenders. 
So if they've got everyone fit with the attacking talent they've got, if they can sort out their defence, which Nuno should be good at, then they might well have enough. But I still feel it's going to go right to the very end with them. I really do. So this is one of those games where West Ham are bruised. What type of West Ham are we going to see here? Are we going to see one that will react and, and in a positive way or one that's still massively lacking in confidence? Well, the city ground will be up for it and they need to get three points here, the home side. OK, let's move on to Sunday. Luton Town take on Manchester United at the Kenny. Are you going to this one, Crook? I am. Looking forward to it. Are you? Are you you excited about the prospect of seeing your rejuvenated, reinvigorated team take on Luton Town? Uh, Because they've put a couple of wins together in a row now, Manchester United. uh, Four in a row, in fact. Um, Are they as convincing as those statistics look? There have been a couple of convincing performances in there. the Villa game last weekend wasn't one of them, but actually I'll, I'll take the positive and so they show character uh, to get over the line. I think there's a better team spirit now. There's more cohesion uh, in the squad and this might come back and bite me, but I'm actually going to Luton. Difficult place uh, for away teams. I was there for the Liverpool game when they got very fortunate Liverpool to get a last-minute equaliser. Arsenal scored a, a stoppage time winner, but I think United will win. I think it'd be five wins in a row. I think it might not be a bad time to be playing Luton on the back of that Sheffield United defeat. And I think United finally, after what's been a a very underwhelming season, are building a little bit of momentum. Good. I'm pleased that you're so confident. I mean, mean, who would believe that Manchester United would go to Luton and be confident of a of a victory. Um, I hate to be all uh, uh, crook to Martin Keown here, but if you were, were concerned that that was not going to be the case, then that would also be a little bit troubling, wouldn't it? I mean, does that not show how far the mighty have fallen, that you've had to sort of, you know, oh, hold on, I'll say it quietly, but I think Manchester United might go to the Kenny and win and felt that that was one of your boldest predictions of the season. <laughs> it probably says it all, but they've not fallen that far, you know. They're still uh, seven points ahead of billion-pound spending Chelsea, so it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Uh, we're only six months into uh, a new project under our new uh, gaffer, Maurizio uh, Pochettino, which I'm sure will come to uh, great fruition in the next seven or eight years when all our contracts are coming to an end. <laughs> uh, Luton fluffed their lines last weekend, and look... We did mention this in the preview pod, Scott. That was a rare occasion where they were going into a match and everybody expected them to win, and they didn't. Um, mm. Look, there are reasons for it. I, mean, I thought Sheffield United actually, and Crook, I think, was there for that game, were the better team overall anyway. Uh, but let's be realistic. I mean, there was a couple of iffy penalties which could have changed the the, the nature of that match anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was, I felt, a must-win. Uh, and to say that at this stage of the season, you know, might be seen a little bit early. But if they are to stay up, they needed to pick up those type of victories. By the way, Man U have got Luton away, Fulham at home, For- Forest away in the cup, of course. So it could be a very good February for them. You know, whereas, you know, oh, he's Luton rubbing his hands with glee. He's, I mean, you didn't hear well, that, but he was rubbing his hands with glee. He thinks they're going to win all of those and, and, and get into the top five. Well, I have to say, you know, there was an early part of the season where they were the form team of the Premier League, weren't they? And they they played pretty much everybody down the bottom and scraped, you know, one goal extra wins than, you know, in in really bad football. But they're they're getting it together now, you have to say. And if you can get that kind of momentum, then who knows? With the other two having not been there before, I still don't feel they'll, they'll finish top four. But in terms of Luton, I just think that was a massive loss last week in terms of the confidence, the psychology of it, um, how well they've done up until that game. And if they could have cracked on and won and won well, perhaps in the way that they did against Brighton, then I think there would have been genuine belief. And now this is a, a great game where you would expect United to win, but I still wouldn't put any money on it because I think that there will be, one thing you'd say about a Rob Edwards Luton side is they have character and they will bounce back and they'll be really disappointed how they played. And this is as big as it gets, Manchester United coming to the Kenny. So the fans will be up for it. The players will be up for it. If United don't survive the first 10, 15 minutes, then it could be a bad day for them. But I'd expect them to. And I expect United to nick this one as well. Okay, quick word on uh, Sheffield United against Brighton. And mainly that Chris Wilder has been charged by the Football Association with improper conduct in the fallout from his sandwich gate rant. 
at a referee. Uh, Wilder called the performance of Tony Harrington ridiculous and was widely reported to have said referees may base decisions on which teams they face next season and that they believe that the club will be relegated. Um, he also got a little bit upset. One of his assistants, he said, was eating a sandwich at the time, which I thought was a complete lack of respect. Every time I read this, I start laughing. Hopefully he enjoyed his sandwich while he was talking to a Premier League manager. I mean, look, OK, all right. He was furious. He was upset about the fact that decisions went against him. Um, he had a little bit of a point as well that decisions did go against him in that game. Uh, but really, are we charging managers over, uh, you know, sort of comments like that? Really? Do we need to? Do we? Does it bring the game into disrepute? Well, the, not the sandwich comment, but I think if he's suggesting that, that referees are biased towards opposition based on who they think will be in the Premier League next season, I think that is quite a serious allegation. I think it probably does deserve Serious? Really tomorrow. serious allegation, is it? Like stupid serious no, it's not. It's not great. You're questioning the professionalism of, of, of a match official. Okay. Listen, Fair enough. Referees are Sorry. not biased, in my opinion. They're, they're just not very good. But there's there's a big difference. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, listen. Uh, he has been charged, um, and as you as you rightly say, it's because it, the comments imply bias, attack the integrity, and are personally offensive, prolonged, or particularly unreasonable. It could lead us to issuing a charge or formal warning, reminding them of their responsibilities, or taking no further action, depending on the seriousness of the incident or track record of the participant. Uh, so we'll wait to see what happens with Sandwichgate and whether or not it means that uh, he has to spend the afternoon with the Prawn Sandwich Brigade up in the, uh, the director's box. Uh, Scott, thank you very much. Live football this weekend comes uh, Saturday afternoon from the Brentford Community Stadium. We'll be bringing you live commentary of the game between Brentford and Liverpool at 12.30. At the same time, on TalkSport 2, we've got Plymouth against Leeds in the Championship. What a promotion race that's turning out to be in the EFL. Uh, game Day Live takes you round the grounds with Adrian at 2.30 on Saturday. Tottenham Wolves is live on TalkSport 2. Uh, and on Sunday... Um, we've got Brighton against Liverpool in the Women's Super League on uh, TalkSport 2 at 12. And then the Sunday session with all the goals as they go in from 1.30. Good news, Monday Night Football is back. We'll be at Everton's Goodison Park as they take on a Hodgson-less Crystal Palace. We'll find out, won't we, when we get there. Thanks for listening. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.